0: Hello and welcome to American Muslim Project. I'm Assad Butt. American Muslim Project is a podcast where we share the contributions Muslims are making to American life. In each episode, we elevate unique Muslim voices that are shaping this American experience. My guest today is Tasneem Dohadwala. Tasneem is a founding partner of Excelistar Ventures, a company based in Massachusetts that invests in disruptive technologies. Her company has a strong commitment to investing in diverse teams. Across her entire portfolio, 50% of the companies are minority led and 39% are female led. Tasneem is also the managing director of the Boston chapter of Golden Seeds, one of the largest early stage investment groups that specifically invests in women led companies. This name has also written about furthering women leadership and women in business. She believes that investing in women is the best way to bring more women into leadership roles. I asked her to tell us a little bit about what an investor actually does.
1: Well, first of all, as an investor, I, so just semantically, right, let's just talk about the logistics. I invest hard dollars in young resource constrained companies that need to take that money to grow, do sales, or develop their product. So that's what I do as an investor. But what are really my roles as an investor go way beyond money. It's about being a partner with your CEO, being their guide, being a sounding board for them, and working with them. There are investors that don't do that. But I believe that for young companies that are resource constrained, they need that help, they need that guidance, and they need that support. And I believe that that is the most exciting part of my job and the part of my job that I'm deeply committed to.
0: I think a lot of people get the image of Shark Tank when they think about investors and investing in stuff and it that you know, you're sitting in a room and people are coming to pitch to you and, and you're deciding right then and there is it you're shaking your head? No. So tell me tell me about the process. Like, what is the reality of, of being an investor?
1: Yes, so Shark Tank isn't reality at all. Uh, The job is far more cerebral, I believe, than that. I spend a lot of time understanding the market, the challenges of the company, even before I make the investment, because I know for me to be a value-add partner, I need to know about the space before I even invest. So it's not a automatic decision off of my gut. There is obviously a gut and I look at a lot of different metrics before I make a decision, but it is a journey to make that decision. And it's a journey that I get a lot of input from, whether it be experts, the team, other investors, I really view this process as a, um, a fact finding mission that takes time and you're it's like peeling back an onion all the layers of complexity within a company you are really peeling back all those layers before you can make a good decision about whether you want to invest and there are investors that choose not to peel back that onion but then when they come to the table i'm not sure that they can really add the type of value that you need them to add because they didn't take the time to understand where the company was coming from from the very beginning I really view entrepreneurship and getting to know a company like a like a novel like reading an amazing suspense filled novel where you turn the page and after every page there's new things that you think about and it makes you you know it just deepens your understanding of the company the space the product the constituencies that's what investing is and that's what the decision making process is for me at least
0: sure so you graduated from Grad school, business school, about ten years ago, maybe eleven years ago. Back at that time, I imagine, I mean, still today, it's a problem. There aren't, there probably aren't a lot of female investors that you could, you could get mentorship from. What was that like? You entering the venture capital space as a female.
1: So I've, I have lived a life of being in the minority, um, and I can think about it all the way down to when I was a kid in elementary school. I was really lucky that my parents decided to put me in private school, which was an amazing school. And I'm, I'm very thankful to them, but you could count the kids of color on your hands when I went and I worked really hard and making sure nobody realized I was different. And emotionally, I think that came to a head very quickly or not, not quickly. It was, I was in a journey where I spent a lot of time suppressing how different I was And yet I kept looking for a sense of belonging. And yet, if you can't be yourself, how can you ever belong? So so that was like a personal journey. So I I grew up learning how to be a minority in, in spaces where I was really sort of counter to the majority. And then I went and worked for a big firm. There were nine other women on the entire trading floor other than me and most of them were executive assistants Oh, interesting but yet my my boss there i had two Actually, i had three but two of them really stand out to me and one was a very strong female boss and she was a no-nonsense woman and she really took me under her wing and then the, my other boss was a white male managing director at the firm and he was also a very no nonce kind of guy, but he really, really supported me. especially when I told him at the age of 21, couple of years into my job that I was pregnant and I needed to move offices. You know, I looked like somebody had maybe passed away. I was so nervous telling him yeah. this. And he looked at me saying, you know, why are you so upset? This is great news. I'm so happy for you. And he said, well, we obviously cannot have you living in New York. You got to move to Boston and be with your husband and your family. And we're going to make it work.
0: Oh, that's great.
1: Yeah. And so and it was not rosy the whole time. Um, I had lots of comments being pregnant on the trading floor. Um, You know, oh, I didn't know you had a bun in the oven. And so a lot a lot of comments. But you you get over it because the people that really care about you, They get up there and they stand up for you and they take care of you. And if you have that in your life, you're able to navigate those challenges. And as an investor, when I I finally was able to find my way to being an investor, you know, even in business school, I was definitely a minority. I think when I was at business school, women in general were in a minority. But beyond that, mothers were a minority, and I was already a mom there. And the mothers that were there out of the 900 students in each class, and there are two classes. So now we're talking about 1800 students, 1800 students, only nine were moms. Wow. And I was one of the two of the nine moms that was going to be a second time mom. Cause I was pregnant in my second year of business school. Wow. So definitely I'm used to being the oddball out. And I, By the time I got to business school, I owned it. Me being different was what was awesome. Like I decided suppressing my differences was never going to give me that sense of belonging. And yet letting myself be who I was, it would attract the people that I wanted it to attract. And they were going to support me and they were going to make sure that I felt that sense of belonging and that I did belong. And then when I finally transitioned professionally into the investing world, there have been entrepreneurs. Um, one, one actually entrepreneur I, I can think of right now off the top of my head, he's a very accomplished entrepreneur. He's of South Asian descent as well. Um, and he's Sikh and he decides he wears his turban. And he has always, Supported people who are different, and he actually incredibly successful man. He's incredibly brilliant, super operator in terms of running companies. His board had three women of South Asians on the board as his investors.
0: Wow!
1: Because he values that. Sure. He made the effort to 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 not go your traditional venture route, yeah.
0: which is very yeah. rare.
1: Very rare. Very rare. And that's why he's so special. And, um, and he's also had a very special, successful career. So it gives you, it, it shouldn't give everybody thought that having diversity at the table, it matters. Yeah. It, it does lead to winning teams. And I think, look, these are not easy conversations to have. It is not easy to make space for people that who feel that there was no space made for them. I understand that's not, a, that's not an easy conversation to have. And, and I know that I am actually somebody who didn't even believe that for a very long time, it was very easy for me to think that I was colorblind. That why do we need to talk about diversity? Why do we need to talk about this? I don't see color. My kids don't see color, but that was so dismissive of the fact that everybody's experiences are different based on where they come from and what they look like. And by saying that color doesn't matter, I am being very dismissive of what their experiences are. And those experiences make our society, our companies richer and more vibrant and more successful. So we have to start talking about this stuff. We can't we can't just tiptoe on eggshells and not have these uncomfortable conversations. We, we have to have them. Yeah,
0: that's great. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, female founders and, and the fact that they're, that uh, I, I just looked up the numbers. Um, I just want to read it here. The stats on investment in 2020, only 2%. Uh, of the money went to an all female led team and 9% went to a male slash female led team. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Oh boy. A lot of thoughts on that. And just to, I will build on your facts for just a second because I feel like it's important. So in 2019, 2.6% of all venture dollars went to female led teams. It actually went down in 2020. Wow. Yep. Because
0: of COVID, I'm assuming, or, or just in general?
1: Maybe, maybe COVID. And, I, and I'll, we'll kind of get to why I think that could be to 2.2. And I think that um, the managing partners at Golden Seeds wrote a f- super article that actually Fortune picked up, which was that Robinhood raised $3.4 billion in the span of like five days.
0: Just a note, Robinhood is a popular app that makes stock trading easy.
1: That is a little bit more than the total venture dollars that went to female led companies in one year.
2: Wow.
1: One year. So let's not say the capital is not out there. The capital is out there. You just have to decide what are your priorities and how you want to allocate this capital. And I'm so tired of hearing about it's, you know, the females, well, they got to think bigger. And, you know, is, is this really a disruptive change or is it incremental? Well, first of all, if you don't give women capital, how can they think big? I find that female entrepreneurs are always resource constrained. They're always doing more with less. And, you know, there'll be venture capitalists will say, well, you gotta, you gotta think big. What's your vision? Why are you thinking so small? Well, you got to give them dollars. They can only think big if they've got big money to, to support their ideas. These things are expensive. Yeah. So I think access to capital, access to the network is a big deal and it's an impediment right now. And I think that if venture capital firms that have big dollars start making decisions that of our fund, we're going to allocate this much money to female-led companies, truly female-led companies, not the token female in the 10-person team that has 1% equity, truly female-led companies, we can start making, we can make progress in this. And so, you know, let's go back to COVID. Why did female-led companies get less money? Maybe it's just a theory. I have no evidence for this, but it's a theory that we like to invest in people that look like us. We want to see mirrors of ourselves. That's where we feel most comfortable. Yeah. So if you think about this year, it has been a very uncomfortable year wrought with uncertainty. So perhaps we have gone to what feels comfortable and you'll have a lot of firms that say, well, I want to invest in a serial entrepreneur. Well, guess what? Serial entrepreneurs have been men. Right. It's great investing in serial entrepreneurs, but that means you're not giving a first time entrepreneur a chance. Your first-time entrepreneur could be your female entrepreneur. So we really need to think about what, are, what frameworks have we created that are imposing these limited investment dollars in females. You know, it was that article said something to get, had actually a stat in there that I thought was frankly shocking, which was that 20 women, there have only ever been 20 women that have led a IPO. Wow. So what so what does that say to me? That say, says to me mm-hmm. that the companies that we are investing today, those are the companies of the future. And so if we don't invest in women today, how are they going to get to those senior level positions 10 years from now? Yeah. They're not going to get there because we're not funding them. So I feel like early on in my career, the whole conversation was, well, you know, women have to ask for what they want. They got to get out there. They got to put themselves out there. They got to lean into their careers. I heard a lot about that. Yeah, right. Well, I think we are. I think we're leaning in. I think we're putting ourselves out there. We are being brave. We are being authentic. But we cannot get access if access is not being granted. We're at the door. We're knocking. No one's opening
0: up. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, the Sneem shares her experience as a woman in the financial world.
2: This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive licensed therapist at Talkspace, If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com.
0: Welcome back to American Muslim Project. My guest today is Tasneem Dohadwala. Tasneem is an investor who is passionate about furthering women leadership and women in business. I asked her what companies can do to make their workplaces more friendly for women and people of color.
1: I think one thing is, I think when they ask for advice, make sure that they're really or, you know, they're trying to do something where they're shifting their values or their mission or doing re-examining work which i think a lot of companies are trying to do nowadays they really need to think about who are they asking to give that information how inclusive is your process are you asking this you know is your higher so let's just use a simple example is your hiring committee the same people every time that that seems like it would be wrought with biases right even your, your evaluation process or your, your as I said, your hiring process, are you structuring the questions? Are you asking each candidate the same questions? What is the feedback form for those that were doing the process? Are they Is it a structured form that everybody fills out the exact same thing? Have you really thought about where people's biases could be coming into the process and how are you working to extract? those points of tension. So I think that's one way. I think the other way is, you know, I I think that COVID has created, has sort of super, or has forced transition in the workforce. I think everybody's writing about how now work from home is possible and people are as productive, which is great, But have a conversation with employees about how are they feeling? Do they feel connected? Do they feel included? What are things that possibly could be happening that make employees not feel included in the decision-making process? So if you want women to feel included, then include them. And it's not just about including the one or two women that you have at the table, you don't feel like you're an insider when there's just one or two of you. You feel like an insider, as I said way back when, about mirrors. When there are mirrors in your life and your professional life, if if you, I think that's why I feel so connected to Golden Seeds because they, I have mirrors there. Yeah. They look like me. Their experiences are like me, and then I feel safer, safer to be myself. And I, I think that if companies make sure that they have those mirrors for each of their employees in, in the different roles. So if you own, if you don't, if you have it throughout your, your company, but in the leadership role, there's only one type of person that's represented. I'm not sure that everybody feels included then.
0: Can you talk about your early experiences as a woman in, especially in the finance world? What, what was your experience like and and how have things changed in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years?
1: Wow, I don't, I don't know if they've really changed. Um, So, you know, being at a bank early on, there was a lot of, you know, there, I think it's, I think it can be summed up in this comment, which is I was in a meeting with my VP, and we were presenting to a managing director who was a female, the VP that I was sort of supporting as an associate was a, a male. Um, and the managing partner or managing director was essentially writing the VP on this set of numbers that we were presenting. And the VP sort of essentially took a step back and had me present all the numbers because I had prepared all the spreadsheets anyways and it was sort of a very difficult dialogue between the vp and the managing director because what you could essentially ascertain and i was it was pretty young then so i sort of just gave the facts was that she was not pleased that he had not really accomplished what she needed him to accomplish so there was it was definitely an uncomfortable conversation for him and when we walked out he made a comment to me which really stuck with me all these years. He said, you know what, I think I like my women, like I like my coffee with a little bit of cream and sugar.
0: (laughs) So can you explain what that what, what does that mean?
1: So I think that he wanted, you know, he doesn't want the coffee straight. He didn't want the coffee in your face straight. Oh, interesting. Without, sugar, without cream without softening it. He likes his women with a little bit of softness, little bit of nurturing, little bit of femininity. He doesn't like a woman who's threatening him and up in his face about the his lack of performance. Okay. And it was at the age of 21. I obviously realized that that was a really inappropriate thing for him to say to me. But of course, I didn't say anything. I was way out of my league to say anything at that time. I don't think I even felt comfortable in my own skin at that age to say something back to him. But as I reflect, I said, wow, if men really think this about women in the world or in the business world, we are just coming at it in such a different way.
2: Yeah.
1: Because the way a woman feels is we many times we feel invisible like our voices and being heard. So it's almost like we have to project harder. Mm-hmm. We have to assert ourselves more to be taken seriously, to be heard. And so, but now if a male is feeling like that's too much, I think in the beginning, I used to think that's my fault as a female, right? Am I yeah. too much? Well, it's not my fault. I'm not too much. I'm doing my job. I'm passionate about my job. I do a good job. And I'm going to show up the way I need to show up, my authentic self. And if the man across the table doesn't like that, I think that's his problem, not my problem. That's, as my kids would say, that's a me problem. That's a, that's a him problem, not a me problem. (laughs) Um, So I think that there was probably more of that back then. Yeah. I can pretty much tell you if somebody said that to a woman today, it would just be totally inappropriate. Right. So I hope that over the at least the last decade or 15 years we've learned to treat each other with a little bit more respect and a little bit more grace. But I do think that we have we have a ways to go. I don't think so I think that the other thing is the reason perhaps there's more acceptance around women is because women are deciding to stop hiding, yeah. expressing and they're just saying what they have to say. In the beginning, I used to always be a little shy about talking about me being a mom or, you know, rushing off to pick up my son at school or something like that. I, always, I would always, you know, not say it or hide it or or maybe embellish what I was about to do. And now I just will sometimes be like, sorry, I'm busy with my kid. I, I can't do that. I'll have to get to you like tomorrow. And I, it's a lot more acceptance and value that 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 behavior or that act of mine is is viewed as much more sacred and valuable, and if it's not, I guess I don't really care because I value it, right. and that's okay. So yeah, so I think maybe there's more acceptance, but it also could be that I'm more senior in my position, so perhaps that's what it is. Right. I reflected back when I was preparing for this. The one thing so I had, a, you know, traditional sort of South Asian Muslim upbringing. But the one thing I think that was not traditional was I had a, I had a mom who, while she loves being a mom, she, she really does, she loves being a grandmother now, probably way more than she loved being a mom. <laughs> um, she, she worked and she loved her work and she modeled that love to me. And she never, she made me feel like I don't have to feel guilty for loving my work. And the other thing is I was also surrounded by grandparents and a father who who they didn't hold me back. It wasn't well, you know, you're going to be a mom and you're going to be a wife, so maybe you want to think about this instead of that. It was you have wings, work hard, you can get there. And my grandfather believed that and my grandmother believed that and I even have to give a lot of kudos but even my, my in-laws believe that. And, you know, for business school, everybody pitched in because I was a mom of two. You know, my husband's incredibly supportive. He would say, you know, why are you doing that? Go, go finish your case. Get prepared for school. That diploma belongs to everybody. So that was non-traditional. My life has been filled with people, my family, who said, there are no limits. You can go for it. There are no ceilings. Go for it, and we're there. We're in your corner, and we'll pick up the slack where you need us to pick up the slack, so you can go for it. And having those wings as a you know a, a first generation Muslim in this country has been really meaningful to me. And not everybody is so lucky, so I feel really, really I, I have a a lot of gratitude for those people in my life who have been incredibly important and making sure that they know that, that they're behind me and they let me fly. And I hope it's a signal to my daughter. I hope I signal the same stuff to my daughters that they can fly too. And my son too. Yeah.
0: but certainly look forward to seeing um, what comes of the rest of your career and would love to have you uh, join again.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun doing this.
0: My conversation with the Sneem was recorded in April of 2021. We'll have links to her company and everything else that we talked about in the show notes. Next week, we have Serena Rasool, founder of Muslim American Casting, on the show. Join us to learn what it's like to be a Muslim in Hollywood movies. American Muslim Project is a production of Rafaelion Media. Today's show was produced by Lindsay Gamble, Mark and me, Asad Butt. Simon Hutchinson did our theme. You can find us online at AmericanMuslimProject.com.